Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to the West Irwin Church of Christ. I'm out of breath. I just had to speed walk over from the lighthouse, so I'm sorry if this takes a, takes a minute. I was talking in class, too, about having run a, a half marathon. That was a long time ago. Um, so, attendance cards. Attendance cards. Uh, let's fill out attendance cards. You'll pass them in the middle aisle, and y'all know the drill. Y'all got it, um, and I can check it off. So a few, a few announcements that you'll see in the bulletin, uh, but I just want to continue pushing. Uh, first one, the Ladies' Inspiration Day. Ladies' Inspiration Day. Um, we're only a couple weeks out from that at this point. That is February 25th, uh, the event itself is, but the deadline to RSVP is a week from today. It'll be uh, next Sunday, the 19th, um, and there is a sign-up list out in the foyer for this. Um, that's going to be an awesome day. It's going to be great. Uh, so once again, Ladies Inspiration Day, uh, sign up for that, please, out in the foyer if you haven't already. Um, another uh, registration deadline, the Camp Deer Runs Pee Wee Camp is uh, due tomorrow, February 13th. Uh, you can pick up important registration info at the children's check-in desk, or I'm sure the Donnie Cook knows a lot more info on that, too. So if you have questions, um, talk to Donnie. But there's info back in the children's wing. Um, last thing, we are less than a month out uh, from the acapella concert. I've been listening to a lot of acapella practicing, so in case, you know, if they need, if, if someone falls out, if they need a bass, um, I'll, I'll, I'll do my best. I can't keep, can't keep rhythm at all, but uh, I'll try. But that is less than a month out at this point, so that's, it's going to be awesome. I hope that, uh, hope that we have a lot of people there from West Sterling. Um, as far as today goes, we're having uh, small groups. Small groups are today, so get together, eat food, eat good food, hopefully enjoy fellowship, and uh, cheer on our Kansas City Chiefs. Is that right? Um, go Chiefs. Uh, or if you don't care, just enjoy some good commercials. Um, so if you would, I'll ask that you stand with me. Uh, we'll read a verse, and then we'll get this morning's worship started. This is Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I will call upon the Lord.
how do you explain? How do you describe? song uh, if only uh, we would invite the Lord to look into our hearts and listen to our hearts it's a very very challenging message in that song if you would uh, let's begin with prayer Father we come before you today thanking you for uh, your your uh, wisdom and, and uh, commanding us to meet together each first day of the week. Father, it, it's so good to be together with brothers and sisters and uh, at least do it every seven days. Father, we're thankful for, for that command and for uh, uh, the command to partake of the Lord's Supper and to remember Jesus and his, his life, his death, what he means to us, the power of his blood, and, and for your great sacrifice. Father, uh, we have many on our prayer and care list we would like to bring before you this morning. Uh, first of all, Eli Hodges, uh, his surgery is scheduled for tomorrow. It's been postponed several times. We, 
We pray that that will happen tomorrow and that everything will work well and and working with his heart. Father, we pray that you'll be with the Wicks and the Hodges family. uh, Give them a a degree of comfort and and peace as their infant uh, child undergoes this surgery. Father, uh, pray that you'll be with Lori Rhodes and as she uh, has been having trouble with her eyes, we pray that... uh, the surgeons will be able to uh, correct that and hopefully nothing permanent or long-lasting. Father, uh, we ask for your blessings upon Lee Mink's mother and father both uh, having health issues, mother uh, suffering from a uh, broken hip, a hip replacement, and his father's uh, in hospice. We pray that uh, you'll be with him as, as uh, those attending him at, at home or taking care of him. Father, also for Camille as she has uh, upcoming surgery, we pray that uh, that will go well and that everything will be all right with her. Father, uh, Robert Lee and Elaine Bell and Karen Glass are all scheduled for surgeries or procedures. We pray that you'll be with them. Uh, please be with uh, Clay Snyder as he does uh, rehab from his heart, from his stroke uh, recently. Father uh, Renee Bone and her father, uh, Renee, uh, is in rehab and her father is recovering from pneumonia from the past several weeks. We pray that you'll be with uh, both of these. Father, uh, pray that you'd be with Bud and Charlotte Collier and their family uh, members. They have several that have health concerns. We pray that you'll be with them. And, uh, Father, if it be your will that... uh, they will recover from their issues. Father, please be with uh, Susan Womack's uh, father as he transitions in his living situation, and Susan and her sister uh, care for her, care for him at this time. Father, we ask your blessings upon our youth group. We're so proud of proud of them, and proud of Tucker and Elizabeth and the work they're doing with our young people. We we pray that you'll be with them in the upcoming. Uh, LTV preparations and the events of LTV, LTC weekend. We ask for your blessings upon our missionary, mission efforts, Father, for uh, those that we have uh, stateside and, and are involved with around the world. We pray that they will be beneficial, that you will be with those men and women that are uh, uh, working under adverse conditions and circumstances. Father, uh, we ask for your blessings upon the children's homes that we support. Uh, it's hard to imagine uh, growing up in a, in a children's home if, if you haven't. And, Father, we, we realize that uh, these children are, are being taught the word. And, Father, hopefully that will uh, carry them through for the rest of their lives. Father, we're thankful for the part that we have in uh, taking care of both the physical and spiritual needs of these children. Father, we ask for your blessings upon the victims and the families uh, that were involved in, in the earthquakes in Turkey and Syria. Father, I know the, the uh, toll is up to 15,000 plus. Father, there's many, many families have been uh, uh, upset over this. And Father, they've lost loved ones. They're, they've been injured. They're... Uh, struggling to to rebuild. Father, we pray that you'll be at these countries. 
And as always, Heavenly Father, we're thankful for West Irwin. We pray for this church. We pray that we'll always be a light in this community and, and uh, reach out into to the world as we have needs, as we have opportunities, Father. And we also pray for our nation. Father, we realize that we're living in a fallen world and we're desperately broken. But, Father, we know you saw the need for salvation. You, you saw that we would be a sinful people and you saw that uh, the only thing that could cleanse us from that sin and free, um, free us from uh, this worldly situation is the blood of Jesus. Father, we're so thankful that uh, you allowed him to to die on our behalf, that he was the ultimate sacrifice, that you loved us enough that you would uh, send your only son to die on our behalf. Father, we pray that uh, as we look around the world today, we see many living in, in sin, and we pray that uh, we will reach out to them, that we will uh, be a, a source of comfort and encouragement Father, we all do sin, but we all and we all fall short of your glory. But we uh, we strive to live a Christ-like life, and Father, help us to encourage others to do that as well. Father, we love you, and we thank you for loving us in Jesus' name. Amen. preparation for the Lord's Supper, let's be singing the Lamb of God. Your only Son, Today is a great day, and as Tucker said, we've got a lot going on. Uh, Super Bowl today, small groups, my our granddaughter's third birthdays today. So, but most importantly, we have uh, this is the Lord's Day, and we're here to worship, and um, we have the opportunity to take communion, which is what we're about to do. But uh, one of the things in line with what Bill's message is going to be today, and uh, I think it's kind of it was interesting to me about the Super Bowl that T Tucker mentioned. Was there's going to be some uh, religious advertisements today? He mentioned the commercials, and usually that's some people really don't care about the game. Their most their biggest draw is the excuse me commercials, and so uh, that was interesting to me that there's going to be people who are uh, focused on reaching out to the lost by these commercials that's a good thing but kind of in the context of what Bill's message is going to be today uh, it made me wonder 
you know, what that message is going to be. Um, there's been some rumblings, and I don't know because I haven't seen the commercials, but uh, been some rumblings that maybe it would be more of a watered-down message and in the, um, you know, hopes that maybe others could be reached with a watered-down message of inclusivity and maybe even the fear is that there would be a message of, you know, hey, Jesus accepts you as you are, and the fear is that even that is inclusive if you're living a lifestyle that doesn't um, jive with what the gospel says the way that we should be living, inclusive of sin. And so um, I don't know what those commercials are going to be like. I'm curious to see when they come on because I'm going to watch. I haven't watched much football lately, but I'll, I'll watch today mainly for that reason. But it made me think of uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, his book, The Cost of Discipleship. And um, I'm going to read a summary, brief summary of, for those of you who may not know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a minister in the days of the rise of Hitler and the Nazis. And he could have left, he could have left, he knew, kind of knew what was coming, but he decided to stay and f- preach against the evil that he saw that was coming. And eventually they imprisoned him and killed him for standing for the truth. And while he was in prison before he was killed, you know, he wrote and said a lot of things. And so the book, The Cost of Discipleship, that came from that, this is a summary of what it says. Uh, One of the most quoted parts of the book deals with the distinction which Bonhoeffer makes between cheap and costly grace. According to Bonhoeffer, quote, Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Cheap grace, Bonhoeffer says, is to hear the gospel preached as follows. Of course you have sinned, but now everything is forgiven, so you can stay as you are and enjoy the consolations of forgiveness. The main defect of such a proclamation is that it contains no demand for discipleship, in contrast to what Bonhoeffer called costly grace. Costly grace confronts us as a gracious call to follow Jesus. It comes as a word of forgiveness to the broken spirit and the contrite heart. It is costly because it compels a man to submit to the yoke of Christ and follow him. It is grace because Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is life. Bonhoeffer argues that as Christianity spread, the church became more secularized, accommodating the demands of obedience to Jesus to the requirements of society. In this way, quote, the world was Christianized and grace became its common property, end quote. But the hazard of this was that the gospel was cheapened and obedience to the living Christ was gradually lost beneath formula and ritual so that in the end, grace could literally be sold for monetary gain. Now, all that was from the summary that I found online of the of Bonhoeffer's work, and I think it's a kind of sums up the concern of what I mentioned about some of these commercials that will be shown today. 
But how does that tie into communion, and how does that tie into Bill's message today? And wrap it up here. Christ died so that we could be saved. That is grace. We had no hope of going to heaven without Christ's sacrifice. But more than that, Christ's grace covers our sins and calls us to repent of those sins. And the communion, the purpose of communion is for us to not only be mindful of Christ's sacrifice, but to be mindful of our mistakes, to confess our mistakes, to leave those mistakes here today and start with a fresh, clean slate so that we can live the life that Christ wants us to live. And so now at this time, if you would, let's, uh, let's say a prayer to God and be mindful of that sacrifice. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you. And we're so thankful that Jesus was willing to die so that we could have forgiveness of our sins. We know that we're humans. We're created in your image, but we're imperfect and we make mistakes. But we can't blame those mistakes on our creator. We can't point and lay the fault of our sins at you. These are our sins. And we couldn't do anything about those sins. We would be lost forever, for eternity, without Jesus' sacrifice. As we take this bread, we want to be mindful, not only of that sacrifice, that the pain and suffering he went through to give us salvation, but also of what he did when he was alive. And help us to replicate that life and live for Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
gift of love. Dear Heavenly Father, we're about to partake of the fruit of the vine, which uh, it represents the blood that Jesus shed when he was crucified on the cross. And we know that we can't live without blood. Blood takes nutrients throughout our body and supplies every part of our body with what we need. And then it cleanses the body. And in that same way, the blood that Jesus sheds strengthens us. It cleanses us. It gives us the life that we need to live in a spiritual sense. And we're so thankful that Jesus can be with us, just like the blood that runs through our body and keeps us alive in a physical sense. We have your spirit within us that can keep us alive, that can cleanse us. We love you, and we thank you for Jesus' sacrifice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. so long At this time, uh, we have the opportunity to give back to the, support the work of the church. And uh, there, as everyone here knows, this church does a great work. And uh, 
we want to support that with our money, but also our time and efforts. And so at this time, let's, uh, let's go back, let's give back to God and give thanks. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we want to be disciples that call other people to you, that draw other people to you. And we pray that you would help us to do that. We pray that you would enable us to be able to do that more effectively. Uh, You give us so much. We're blessed. We're blessed to be in this town, in this state, in this nation. And so we want to thank you for all that you've done for us, and we want to give back. Help us to do so in a spirit that is pleasing to you and help us to do so in a way that enables this church to, to, to grow and to become a force for good and a light to the community that preaches the truth and draws people to Jesus. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We'd like to take the opportunity at this time for uh, all of our young people that are partaking in the BLAST program to be able to make their way out. The other young men will be coming around, picking up the uh, attendance cards, if you would pass those inside. And if you would, please join me in singing the song before we have uh, our sermon today. I just wanted to share one thing about the power of the commercials and the power of the presence of God in what we have on the stage today. Back in the early 2000s, Tim Tebow was at the University of Florida, and he put on his eye wax. He wrote in with a silver sharpie, John 3.16. Three years, one day, and six hours later, he was playing in the national championship against Alabama. He wore the same John 3.16 on his eyes. During that time, during the game that they won, Tim Tebow threw for 316 yards. He ran for 3.16 yards per carry. God has a plan, plain and simple. It's amazing. So when you think about today, when they have the commercials, get it out to all of your, all of your friends And I want to tell you the most important part about that when he put that on his eyes. Over 9 million people that day Googled John 3.16. Let's be standing. To God be the glory, great things he hath done, so
Do you know what the acronym LGBTQ plus stands for? And how are you reacting right now to that question? While you're thinking about that, let me share with you a part of a 2012 Christianity Today article. Recently, a young couple started coming to our church. They're very likable. They married a few years ago on the other side of the country, then migrated west to our town and visited several churches until they ended up in ours. Both take their faith seriously. Both are seeking a place where they can worship, serve, and grow. They want a loving and Christ-centered environment in which to raise their daughters in the, quote, nurture and admonition of the Lord. Both are women. Linda and Rita are lesbians. How would you respond to that couple if they visited West Irwin Church of Christ? How did you respond when I asked, do you know what that, those letters stand for? Was it an immediate judgment on people that those letters describe? Was it, uh, I'm tired of this whole discussion? How would we respond if this couple I just mentioned visited West Irwin? How would you respond to them if they sat on your pew? Because the truth of the matter is, they're sitting on the pews of all of our young people every single day. All of our college-age students every day. And most of all of us in your work world every day. The article continues, my first question to them was, why us? (laughs) There are two or three churches nearby that have no theological issue at all with same-sex marriages. They perform them, celebrate them, welcome those in them. Our church is not one of these churches, the writer continues. We're firmly embedded in our evangelical heritage, a strong emphasis on the Bible, on personal holiness, on evangelism and activism, and strong feelings about homosexuality. Very strong feelings, he writes. Linda and Rita actually grew up in this kind of a church, and that was part of their answer to why us? The other part of their answer was intriguing. They see life and joy in our church, and they want in on it. We didn't know what to do with them. He writes, I lost more sleep over this than almost anything else in my 20 years of pastoral ministry. My heritage told me to give them the heave-ho. My theology told me they were living in defiance of God. 
But a stirring inside me, which I can only describe as the Spirit of God, told me something else, that God himself had drawn these women here. He was doing something deep in Linda and Rita, and he was entrusting our church to join him in his work. GoodRx.com has an instructive article on uh, this acronym, LGBTQ+. L stands for lesbian. The term lesbian describes a woman who is physically, emotionally, or romantically attracted to other women. G stands for gay. The term gay describes a person who is physically, emotionally, or romantically attracted to people within the same gender. I think lesbian is used primarily for women, uh, gay for men. B stands for bisexual. The term bisexual describes a person who is physically, emotionally, or romantically attracted to people within more than one sex, gender, or gender identity. T stands for transgender. The term, trans, <clears throat> the term transgender describes a person whose gender identity or expression is different than their sex assigned at birth. We're going to be speaking more about the transgender questions and issue <clears throat> one week from today, next Sunday. <clears throat> Q stands for queer. An adjective used by some people in whose sexual orientation is not exclusively heterosexual or straight. It's an umbrella term that includes people who have other identities related to sex and gender. Q can also stand for questioning. Someone who is questioning and is just not sure where they fall as far as sexuality. The plus sign at the end stands for, you're going to love this, plus. (laughs) The plus sign is a symbol that represents members of the community who identify with the sexual orientation or gender identity that isn't included within the LGBTQ. Another is I, another is A, intersex or asexual, that are a part of this acronym and, and that list seems to get longer all the time. I think it's important for us to be aware of that. I think it's important for us to be able to have a conversation about it without approaching it either in complete ignorance um, or in arrogance. I don't think Jesus would want us to, to be either one of those when it comes to this subject and this discussion. I think the people that that acronym describes were created by God in the image of God. And Jesus died on the cross for them. Just like he died on the cross for me. Doesn't mean that they're living right. It doesn't mean that their actions are not sinful. But yet that exact thing is what Jesus was accused of believing when he showed some degree of acceptance to people who were sinners. 
likely we will be too. So first of all, two extremes. Two extremes related to sexuality, speaking specifically of God's designs. God's design of our sexuality. Two extremes. First of all, one view says same-sex attraction and homosexuality are gross and homosexualities are the worst kind of sinners. Sarah Barrett in her book that we're using as a resource in this study that is on your uh, sermon outline as a resource quoted someone else as they called this the, quote, argument of ickiness. This is the homophobic view. That these sins are gross and homosexuals are worse than all other kind of sinners. They make God sick. And so my question, as we were discussing this in our Bible class a few moments ago, my question is, what sins don't make God sick? What sins are not a perversion of the design with which God made us. Again, it doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it not a sin. It just puts it in perspective. And just the fact that I'm willing to do that will cause some to wonder if I think it's wrong or not. (laughs) Just like they did with Jesus. Just like they'll do with you. If you show some degree of compassion and understanding and acceptance of a person that that acronym describes. That's one extreme. The other extreme view says that loving the homosexual and those who feel an attraction to those of their same sex must include accepting and approving of their attractions and lifestyle and actions. And that is just as wrong. (laughs) Because it's not biblical. And we're going to see that in just a moment. But that's where we are in our country in many ways in this discussion today. And that is, if you don't not only accept them as a person created in the image of God, but also uh, encourage them and condone their lifestyle choices and the fact that they believe that this uh, homosexual lifestyle is completely acceptable to God. If you don't do that, then you don't love them. You're homophobic and you're a bigot. And none of those things is true either. <laughs> they could be. They might be with some. But they don't have to be. Those are the two extremes Which of these is the biblical view? Which of these reflects a Christ-like response? And it's easy for us this morning to say, well, neither, Bill. And so let me ask you this question and honestly answer it to yourself. Which, if either, reflects your view? Hopefully neither. But if we're really honest, there are some of us today that say, well, I kind of like that one. So let's talk about the biblical teaching next. 
Let me be very, very clear. Homosexuality is a sin. That's my view, and I base that view of my understanding of what the Bible says. And there are lots of scriptures on your outline, and we'll mention some of them. It goes back to creation. In Genesis 1 and 2, God created us in His image. He also created us male and female. We'll talk more about that next week. He also instituted the relationship and the covenant of marriage. It's not man that thought that up. It was God. And God decided that humanity would take on two uh, sexes, male and female, and that they would complement each other, and that there would be this special covenant relationship called marriage between a husband and a wife. And a man would leave his father and mother and would be devoted to, cleave to his wife. And the two of them would be one flesh. And they were both naked, Genesis says, and they were not ashamed. Shame came with sin, not with God's design. Jesus would quote Genesis when asked about the marriage relationship. And so for someone who comes to me and says, well, yeah, Bill, the law condemns it, I get it. The epistles, Paul certainly didn't like it and he condemned it, I get it. But Jesus never condemned homosexuality. That is wrong. That is wrong. And here's why. Number one, Jesus did. By affirming Genesis, Jesus condemned it. Just as he condemned all other sin regarding marriage. That's not God's ideal. That's not God's vision. That's not God's design. But the other part of that is, well, okay, what about the rest of the Bible? What about the rest of the New Testament? Are you telling me that those things don't matter at all? That they're not inspired word of God? Because I believe with all of my heart that if you believe that this book is the inspired word of God then you're going to come to the conclusion that homosexuality is a sin. Because that's what this word teaches. And it teaches it all the way through. We saw Hebrews 13 verse 4 last week that God would judge those who are sexually immoral. But marriage itself is honorable and is to be kept honorable. And the sexual relationship between a husband and wife is pure and is to be kept pure. It's God's design. Genesis 19 is listed there. Really, Genesis 18 and 19 tell the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you know where we got our word sodomy? It goes back to the Latin, goes back to the ancient Greeks. It goes back to Genesis 18 and 19, where this city was so infiltrated with sin, the city of Sodom and the city of Gomorrah, that it was on display in a huge way, and God had had enough. And in spite of Abraham's pleadings, the city was destroyed. The old law condemns the sin of homosexuality, but as does the New Testament. We'll read just a couple of verses, a couple of passages. First of all, Romans 1, beginning at verse 24. And the amazing thing about this passage is it's not just talking about Christians. It's not just talking about Jews. It's not just talking about the people of God. It's talking actually about non-Christians. 
about Gentiles, non-Jews. Verse 24, Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, verse 26, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men who abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. The haunting statement, God gave them over. God gave up on them. God said, okay, if you are insistent on living this sinful life, I will let you. God gave them over. 1 Corinthians 6 shares these words in verses 9 and 10. Or don't you know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Homosexuality is a sin. We could read other passages, but I'll just read one more. 1 Timothy 1, beginning at verse 8. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. Homosexuality is a sin. If you accept the Bible as the inspired and the authoritative word of God, and you don't rip out half of the books, then you must come to that conclusion. Secondly, today, we are all sinners. Homosexuality is a sin, but guess what? We're all sinners. That may not be a temptation you face. It may not be a sin that you've ever experienced yourself, but we are all sinners, every single one of us. Romans brings that out, as you know, in such a wonderful way in the first three chapters, saying there is no unrighteous, no, not even one. All have sinned and come short of God's glory. And then again, back to that passage in 1 Corinthians 6, read one more verse after that list of sins that includes homosexuals, verse 11, and that is what some of you were to the Christians at Corinth in modern day Greece. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. 1 John 1 and 2 says, if anyone says they haven't sinned, they're lying. And they're calling God a liar. And they need a savior. But the good news of the gospel is we have one. He is the lamb of God that we sang about 
earlier. We are all sinners. This takes away the, quote, argument of ickiness. When we acknowledge that we're all sinners and that there's no sin that is approved by God and there's no fairly good sins and bad sins, just sin, it takes away that argument because we're right there with them in the eyes of God. As our shepherd Jay Bynum led us in prayer, he prayed that we, acknowledging that we struggle to live a life of righteousness, and we struggle to encourage others to live that same way. Homosexuality is a sin. We are all sinners. Number three, there is a difference between temptation and sin. And I think this is the point that so many in our cultural discussion today don't get. There's, you, we must differentiate between temptation and sin regarding all sins. We must remind ourselves that being tempted to do or not do something that God either forbids or commands, and actually doing it or not doing what He commands, those are not the same <clears throat> Same-sex attraction is not a sin. Acting on it is. Just like being tempted to lie is not a sin. Actually lying to someone is. And so we must differentiate between same-sex attraction and homosexual acts. We acknowledge that there are some people that are tempted with same-sex attraction. And there are many who recognize that and who acknowledge that that's a sin in the eyes of a holy and just God and have committed to live a celibate life because of that. Because they recognize that. Just like we must differentiate between other temptations and the acts themselves, lying, gossip, losing your temper, Someone will come to me and say, well, Bill, I know I lost my temper. I'm so sorry. It's just the way I'm wired. It's just the way I'm made. Yeah, and it's sinful. Stop doing it. (laughs) Get control of it. And if you need help to do that, get help. It's out there. But just because you struggle with that and are tempted with that, it doesn't justify it at all. And the same is true of same-sex attraction and homosexuality. Lila Rose, who is a wonderful pro-life advocate in this country, and we'll be looking at that issue in a few weeks, she says sexual desires are things we have, not who we are. A few weeks ago, Eric spoke about our identity. And we're not identified by our temptations. including the sexual temptations that we all face. They may look differently for one person to another, but they don't define us. And we can overcome them. The opposite of homosexuality is not becoming heterosexual. The opposite of homosexuality is holiness. In the same sense that the opposite of lying is not telling the truth, the opposite of lying is holiness. In the same sense that the opposite of gossip 
is not keeping your trap shut. The opposite of gossip is holiness. If you live this way, you're not living a life of holiness. Whatever that sin is. And we're all in the same boat there. Number four, as the old saying goes, we must what? Love the sinner and hate the sin. And for some of us, we really have trouble distinguishing that. This is what Jesus did so well, and we won't ever do this as well as he did, but we are called to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. And he calls on us to treat others the way he has treated us, loving us, accepting us, forgiving us, calling us to live obediently. And we must treat others the same way and do for them what the Savior has done for us. Love them, accept them, forgive them, and call them to live obediently. Those who experience same-sex attraction can find hope in the fact that Jesus came to sacrifice His life and shed His blood so that He could be your Savior. So that He could be the Savior of everyone, whatever their sin, who turns to Him. Those who don't experience this temptation can consider the Apostle Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11, we read a few moments ago. That's what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified through the blood of Jesus. All have sinned. We can remind ourselves of that, including me. And we can be reminded of that when speaking to those with the same-sex attraction that before a holy God and sinless Savior, we all come broken to the Lord in need of Christ's perfect love and saving grace. So before we give a few points of help, this statement before we close, our task is to be a church that welcomes sinners without abandoning holiness. And that's hard. If we could just do one or another, one or the other, it would be so good. <laughs> if he didn't want us to welcome the sinner, just stay close to the word, then that'd be easy. Great. Or if he wanted us to just welcome whoever, whatever, however, and don't worry about faithfulness in the Bible, that would be easy too. But he calls us to be both to be a church that welcomes sinners without abandoning holiness. And I appreciate, Chris, you bringing up the He Gets Us campaign. You've seen some of those commercials already. He Gets Us. And I got to tell you, I'm with Chris, I would probably write them differently. (laughs) But I would have written Cecil B. DeMille's The Ten Commandments differently too. So there you go. But tomorrow or sometime this week, when you're talking to your friends at school or when you're gathered around the water cooler or the coffee pot or whatever it is you gather around and you talk about stuff and someone brings up did you catch the game yesterday then talk a little bit about how the Chiefs look so good and Patrick Mahomes is so great and he's from Tyler or White House sorry somewhere or another in that conversation just kind of blend in well did you did you notice that commercial that talked about Jesus he gets us What would you think of that? 
here's a great opportunity of a nationwide campaign that we can use to help turn a conversation toward the Lord and toward His Word. And granted, there may be some things I'm with Chris that I will likely disagree with on it. But it can bend the attention towards Jesus in a very easy, non-threatening conversation at work or school. Our task is to be a church that welcomes sinners without abandoning holiness, which means that we must be individuals who welcome sinners without abandoning holiness. And that's you and me. This acknowledges the tension between grace and truth, mercy and righteousness. It's the call to accept others while upholding the truth. It's Bonhoeffer's call to be thankful for grace. But recognize that it's only cheap grace if I say it frees me to do whatever I want. And so does this describe you? Are you a person who welcomes sinners without abandoning holiness? And how can we do that, especially with those who are facing LGBTQ plus issues? How do we do that? So here are five things, and I'll go through them quickly. And perhaps you can send me some other things that could be added to this list. Number, <clears throat> number one, don't ignore them. Don't ignore them. Don't get scared as if God doesn't exist (laughs) to go talk to them. Don't pretend that they don't exist, that you don't see them. Don't ignore them. Number two, Stephen Covey's words, seek first to understand, then to be understood. Before you go to preaching and telling them how homosexuality is a sin because my preacher said so... (laughs) Try to understand them, where they are, where they've come from, what they're going through right now. Number three, ask sincere, non-judgmental questions. This is how you accomplish number two, by the way. Ask questions. What is it about this lifestyle that appeals to you? How did you realize that this is how you were and this is what you want? And perhaps sometime down the line the discussion can get to what convinced you that that God is okay with this? In spite of what we've talked about, what the Bible says, and that's number four, let the Scriptures speak. When it is time to share The Word of God, make sure it's the Word of God (laughs) and not just your opinion. And number five, assure them of God's love for them and yours. Assure them that whatever their choices, wherever they are, God loves them and He gave His Son for them just like He did for you. And you love them too. Even though you think What they're doing is not only wrong and sinful, but it it will end up hurting them. In spite of that, you love them. Let them never question 
and wonder about that. Let them know that what you want for them more than anything else is this blessed assurance that only comes from knowing Christ. If we can help you get there today, come as we stand and sing this great old hymn together. Blessed assurance, Jesus is came to me last week and he said, hey, this is what's going to be next week, so good luck with the song selection. So um, I just wanted to, to point out the fact that we started off with calling upon the Lord. We asked him to listen to our hearts. We honored him as the Lamb of God. We gave him all the glory. We just talked about his blessed, blessed assurance. And now we'll be closing with, we bow down. You are Lord of creation and Lord of my life, Lord of the land and the sea. thank you for the opportunity to wake up this morning, for the opportunity to come here and 
be with like-minded people to share our feelings and thoughts and to grow more spiritually in your name. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done for us, for the son that you sent and died on the cross. And Lord, we pray for everybody on the pray and care list and pray that you be with us throughout the rest of this week. In these things we pray, amen.